to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And, of course, at this time, you don't even have to worry about the daylight savings time exactly. and all that. All that's coming up shortly, huh? Shortly. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know exactly when, but it's you shortly. Know, of all the aggravations in the world, I know, right? this is one that can get rid of. Sure, easily. It really doesn't save anything that doesn't I can see. Doesn't benefit say. anybody. Doesn't benefit anybody. It's just one of those aggravations that yep. go- messes everybody the up. Government imposed. Yeah, everybody got, I got about 30 clocks in my house. I got to reset all of them. Yep. By the time I get that done, it's time for the time. It's change changing back. back. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I, know, anyway. I, know, I know a lot of people just leave their clocks alone and just make up for the hour. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of countries don't observe it. Which uh, a few states right. don't observe it. Right. So, yeah, if you're calling for one of those states, you'll have to allow for all that. Have to figure it all out. Have to, have to sit down with a paper and a pencil and figure out the math. And uh, there you go. Or you can actually go to our website, and we've got a little clock on our website that will do all that for you. That is wonderful. Yep, yeah, and it's based it's on the hours, too, and it's looking at your local time. So it'll just tell you right. how, how long before the next show comes on. Wonderful. Without worrying about all that time stuff. I like, that I like. <laughs> and that's technology that works. That's technology that works. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, I thought that would be something we would talk about today. Obviously, we always have some type of little... Oh, topic. conversation topic. Yeah. Yeah. Never limited that. Anything might be bugging you or concerning you. Just give us a call. I try to address any topic you got, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about technologies that have improved things uh-huh. over the years because we're always talking about the stuff that we don't like, but right. there have certainly been technologies out there sure. that have made major, sure. major improvements. And over a long period of time, you know, going way back. I'm way back now. We, yeah. we talking 50, 50 oh, plus oh, years yeah. back. Yeah. Way back. One of the first big big improvements that i can recall when i started working on cars is when they went from bias tires to radial tires sure that was a big big improvement over the the ride and the comfort of the vehicles that were being produced right in fact michelin actually invented the first radial tire it rode better it lasted longer it handled better. handled better it did basically everything better than the old bias ply did yeah and no real disadvantages to it Mm-hmm. to speak of i mean i guess you could say well they're more prone to conicity which is where they can develop a pull one sure. way or another but that is a i guess a relatively minor problem in the total scope of things sure it is the benefits that it brought to the mix were just so or overwhelming yeah. and the cost differential was very very slight which to me is the way i want to see technology i want something that is cost effective to me as a driver. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly. want something that adds cost to my vehicle, like so much of the technology does. I want something that benefits me. I can see a big improvement, and it doesn't cost, cost. me more than the amount of savings that it gives me. We're going to talk more about that. Let's go to the phone lines. we got Bob on line. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. I appreciate everything you guys do. You do a great job. Well, thanks, Thank sir. you. I've got an 05 Cavalier mm-hmm. that is using uh, a lot of coolant. Okay. And can't see it leaking anywhere, and it's not in the oil. What uh, engine does it have, Bob? I, I guess it's a 2.2. Okay, a four-cylinder? Leader. Yeah. Four-cylinder, two, right. 2.2 is four-cylinder. Yeah, what I would do first off, Bob, is if you don't see it dripping anywhere, there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, it could be dripping inside the engine. It could be going into the exhaust. But what I would look for first, something like a small crack somewhere in the radiator in one of the tanks or the side, because what will happen very often is it won't come spraying out, but it will leak out. It will wick across that core, and the combination of the heat of the core and the fan drawing across it 
will evaporate the water, so it'll never hit the ground. That's one possibility. Another possibility would be something like a water pump. Sometimes those will not leak when the car is sitting still, so you'll never see a puddle. But going down the road, it may leak. So that would be a secondary possibility. Beyond that, you could have things like intake gaskets leaking but not leaking into the oil. They could be leaking like into one of the intake ports, and it's drawing it in, and it's just burning it up and blowing it out. And if it's a relatively small leak, you're not going to see coolant dripping out tailpipe because the converter is going to just burn it up. It's going to evaporate before it gets out that far. So those are several things. The way we generally find that kind of stuff, Bob, is to do a pressure test on the radiator, but not just pump it up, look at it, and say, I don't see anything. You need to put pressure on it and see how long it holds. You know, If the pressure starts to drop off, well, then obviously there's a leak. But a lot of times with the engine cold and pressure on it, because that's a not a normal situation, generally when it's pressure on it, the engine's hot. So if you can pressurize it and let it sit, you're generally going to find that leak. All right. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And going back to our phone lines, we got Trey online. Good morning, Trey. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all today? Doing great, Doing sir. Doing great. Great. I have a kind of a, a little bit of a different question for you, so I hope you'll give me a little bit of latitude. Sure. I have my eye on a 2010 Chevy Express 1500 series cargo van that has been converted to an aftermarket conversion. Mm-hmm. It's got 42,000 miles on it. It's being sold at a dealership in southern Alabama. In fact, I'm on my way there right now to mm-hmm. test drive it. I looked at the Carfax report, and there were about four services that were listed in it after the dealer took possession of it and i got them to give me the actual their receipts that you know describe what they had done mm-hmm. and so there were a couple of things that i wanted to ask you about there's a there was a po 455 evaporative emission control system very board. common yep okay and they said it was a um, a bad fuel tank pressure sensor that they replaced very likely and then about a, a month after that there was a po 496 evaporative emission system flow during non-purge mm-hmm. uh the cause they listed was the purge valve was stuck and they replaced that and mm-hmm. then a few weeks after that they they put a new gas cap on it and i just wanted to get your opinion on is that a sign of something that would steer me away from the vehicle or like i hear you saying it's a very common issue yeah Uh, i'm just trying to get a feel for you know if this is something to worry about those items would not really bother me too much let me give you some thought and again i'm just being devil's advocate here yeah but you got two fairly significant issues with this vehicle going in one is it's a 2005 which means it's a 10 i'm sorry 2010 which means it's 11 years old it's only got fifty-five thousand miles so this vehicle has sat up a lot which is generally problematic. Number two is had an aftermarket conversion, which causes tends to be a lot more problematic than a factory built van would be. Not that either right. one of those is a killer, but I'd want to be buying this van considerably under the normal price that it would that you would consider it to be worth. In other words, I want to buy this van probably four or five thousand under what would be normal selling price just because of the additional risk i'm taking because of the two issues that i mentioned but when you start talking about evaporative emissions again the aftermarket company was probably all into that area because they had to move things around and that can cause a lot of that kind of stuff going forward even the absolute best aftermarket conversion companies are just not at the same state because they don't have the wherewithal to put stuff on test tracks and run it for you know simulate a hundred thousand miles and all that it's just inherently more problems with that with me it's a matter of risk reward 
if my right. reward is great enough, I'm willing to assume the risk. But I would right. not be paying anywhere close to list price for this thing. Yeah, well, yeah, and you know that's the really challenging part is what is really a how do you determine a list price on something that has an aftermarket conversion? Yeah, it's, it's more difficult. I would want to be probably I would add absolutely nothing for the aftermarket conversion. That has no value right. to me. I would okay. look at a van of that year with that many miles. with that many miles and see what it says, what the, the references say it would be worth, and I'd want to be several thousand under that. Gotcha. Because basically okay. their aftermarket work adds nothing to the value to me. Right, right. Totally get it. Man, I appreciate y'all taking my question on that so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thoroughly enjoy your show. Well, you bet. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thanks, Trey. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our first quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west. Man, you have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, brah. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Click the button, fill out the form, and hit the send button. There you go. Just send it on in to us. And what you'll notice, it'll pop up with a little thing that says, would you allow us to put a cookie on your machine? Uh What that does, it'll save your name and your car and all that kind of stuff. And next time, when you go to the contact form, it'll already be filled out for you. Which is kind of a neat thing. Yeah. And you can save multiple cars if you want, where you can click down, scroll between them. But it just keeps me having to type all the information more than one time. And some people are just funny about that. They don't want to cook you on the machine. If you tell it no, it it won't do it. It'll just go on. (laughs) Go on by its business. (laughs) We try to be as inobtrusive as possible. Exactly. Another thing about our email is we don't keep email. We don't try to harvest email. We never, ever sell email or any of that kind of foolishness. We send a reply to you, and that's the end of it. You're not ever going to hear from us again unless you send another contact form in. I'm not going to send promotional garbage garbage to you yeah I, you know i hate that <laughs> I, I do too i get so many emails and i go in i hit the little unsubscribe button and a lot of time you keep getting them anyway sure. and you know stuff you never subscribe to somebody sold your email address to somebody right. else and yeah that kind of, i mean life is too short without all the aggravation of that and the last thing in this world we want to do is aggravate anybody because I want you to come do business with me, and you're probably less likely to do business with me if by aggravating. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you say, hey, I'll say it's a pretty good old boy. Maybe you'll come in and do something, you know. But yeah. Yeah, we don't ever do anything that's going to uh, right. put our customers out or into that effect. We're talking a little bit about technologies and how some technologies 
have really, really benefited people. They're right. very cost effective. And we started out way back with like radial tires, big right. improvement over the bias tires and things they had before. And we can go even further back to vacuum operated windshield wipers. Yeah, that, that's that, way when, back, probably when, in the 50s. In the 50s yeah. yeah. When the electric motor wipers came out, boy, that was a great improvement over vacuum assist. It really was because every engine, regardless of design, when you accelerate, the vacuum drops. That's just the way engines work. Yes. The, the carburetor or whatever opens, the air valve, throttle body opens, so the vacuum in the engine drops. And right at the time when you yeah. needed your wipers to work, <laughs> they would slow down or more likely just quit, quit working. working. It would just sure. freeze. I know I had a 55 Chevy with wipe, uh, vacuum wipers yep. on it. You'd be cruising along in a pretty good downpour, and you accelerate, boom, wipers would stop. At the most inconvenient yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> they came out with the electric wipers, and that was a big... Oh, a huge improvement. Big improvement. So Safety improvement. Yeah, and just didn't really cost a whole lot more, probably, than the vacuum no. system did before. It's just the technology they had. And, again, back around that era, they had generators on cars. Right. Simply because when cars were invented, it probably didn't even need a battery. You had a crank on it, like a T-Model 4 didn't even need a battery for anything. Then as they started adding more electrical stuff, they said, hey, we got to have a generator on here to recharge this battery that we've added because now we got a starter motor, so we've got a battery. Mm-hmm. And what they had at the time was a generator. Now, a generator is different from an alternator Correct. in that a generator produces DC voltage, which is what it needs to charge the battery. An alternator produces AC voltage, and it's got a part called a rectifier that converts it to DC voltage. And I can remember when they first came out, and I'm talking way back, probably very early 60s. I think Chrysler had the first one out. And everybody, oh, man, that ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> man, we ain't going to work on them things. Because uh-huh. <laughs> you used to have starter generator shops everywhere. Oh, yeah. About every other corner had a starter generator shop because they went out so much. You pull them off, have them rebuilt, put them back on, and That's keep right. Going. That's right. Went to the alternators, and not only did they charge better, they also last longer. Right. And eventually the cost came down to where it didn't cost any more or probably even less than an alternator cost. So, again, a technology that helps people, cost-effective, works really well. I mean, today, you can't even conceive of a generator on a car. Oh, no. It just couldn't keep up with, with one-tenth of the load. It couldn't even keep up with the – even oh. at full speed, it couldn't keep up with the road, load of running the car. Right. You'd be discharging constantly. Well, you've got so much more uh, electrical usage now on a vehicle than mm-hmm. you had back in the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, back when you were running generators, you like you said, you mentioned you had a starter. And you had lights. Yeah, very that, little else. Very little else. <laughs> Maybe a radio. Well, like I said, the windshield. Radio was an option. E- even the windshield wipers run on vacuum. Yep. Power right. steering pump, if you had that, was run on some kind of a belt drive system. Right. So, yeah, you just didn't have a lot of electrical draw. So it worked out you know, just fine for what it was. Right. And then you've got, I don't know how many generations of alternators out. You know, what generation of alternator we're out on now. Oh, uh, who knows? Late 60s, early 70s. Even the alternators that we've got today can't keep up no they are there to subsidize subsidize the battery is subsidizing the electrical system when you're an idle because the alternator sitting there idling is probably discharging mm-hmm. that's one reason they got away from the amp meters you remember if you had an old car it had an amp meter right and it would show charge it would show discharge well it'd be on discharge most All the of the time. time it would scare people so what they did they went to a voltmeter instead which only shows the state of charge of the battery right so so long as the battery is not completely exhausted it's not going to show anything but yeah alternators will basically if you don't drive your car enough and then when you drive it you drive it slowly you're probably going to end up with a dead battery we see this a lot with elderly people who just don't tend to drive their cars a whole lot and about once a year the battery dies and it's just because it's constantly being discharged it's never being recharged you got to get that alternator turning probably 1500 2000 rpm which means 50 60 miles an hour in most cars sure 
for a period of time to, to charge the battery, battery up. And that's why you have these kind of problems, even with the latest and greatest generation of alternators. With a generator, it, it wouldn't oh, it be any contest. Be right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Mark on the line. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, good. sir. Good, good. Um, I just heard that thing you were saying uh, a moment ago about alternators. Uh-huh. Is that true on older cars, or is it more just the newer ones? No, everything has alternators. Probably from the middle 60s on up, they got away from generators. Oh, no, no, I... I I understand they have them. What I mean is, are they subsidizing, uh, yes, actually sure. subsidizing them on all of the cars? Yes, yes. And the later the, older ones. later the cars are, the more so that occurs. Back right. in the maybe 1970s or 80s, they were just about breaking even at an idle, maybe losing a slight amount of charge and, and the battery was keeping it up. But on the newer ones, let's say you're sitting at a red light and you've got your air conditioning on, You've got the headlights on. You maybe have your rear window defrogger on. It's definitely discharging. Right. It, it just can't Love keep up. Your, your sound system is on. You've got during the amplifiers and stuff that are being run. The alternator can't possibly keep up. So what it does, the battery oh, okay. will subsidize it under those conditions. However, as soon as you accelerate and it starts turning faster, then it'll start to recharge it. And it'll, it'll build it back up. And it can do that so long as the battery's good. It's the right battery for the car. And the alternator's in good shape. And you drive it at a high enough speed often enough you, you won't have any trouble okay that makes sense mm-hmm. um so the reason i was calling you actually was uh, about a transmission question mm-hmm. so my understanding of these which I'm, I'm hoping is right is that the the main coupling between the torque converter and the wheels is hydrostatic right so it's in fluid correct and the motion in the fluid is what makes the car go so there's no friction when you move off from stop is that right well i'm, I'm not sure i understand no friction when you move off from a stop Okay, so in a manual car, there would be friction as the clutch plate is moving. Okay, the yeah, that is spiral. that is correct. What it does, it's just, and if you go on my website, look up torque converter, and there's a cutaway there. It shows you how it works. It's a series of impellers, and as one starts turning, it just induces the force into the other one. And so that's why there's slippage, and the slippage is necessary when you come to a stop so the motor can keep running, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, not unlike if you took two fans two little portable fans, and set them side, you know, face-to-face with each other, plug one in, they're both going to turn. Because the air yeah, coming off yeah. one's going to drive the other. It's sim- very similar to that. And, of course, okay, the, yeah, that, the, the more modern yeah. cars have a lock-up. They do actually have a clutch inside the torque converter that does lock it at a certain speed so there's no slippage at all. Because a, a true torque converter is going to continue to slip all the time, every decreasing amount, but it will continue to slip. So what the lock-up does, the clutch that actually locks it one-to-one to get better fuel mileage and all that kind of stuff. And that's what they call lock-up. Yeah. yeah, it's above 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on the vehicle. Some of yeah. them actually lock between gears now. Even as uh, low as fir- between yeah. first and second, it may go lock-up. Or you know, it's, it's all computer control now, and it's, they go in and out of lock-up so much you can't even tell it's, it's there. But GM had a lot of trouble with that unit when it first came out. I think they've pretty much either gotten away from it or they've got it improved where yeah. it doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, they changed the fluid so many times. Yeah. They, they revised the fluid about four times because they were having shutter and lock-up. But, yeah, they go in and out of lock-up even between gears now, so it can be as low as 10 miles an hour coming in now. Wow, okay. So my what the reason I was asking was, um, I was so my, in my head, my theory was that there's no friction between clutches unless you're changing gear. So if I were driving around in 30 limit zones, would it be advantageous to use that S mode to limit the car to second gear, to limit the changes? Probably not. I mean, it's designed to do what it does. You know, it's not unlike, Mark, when, if you ever been to a big city where there's lots of taxi cabs and stuff like London or, or maybe New York here, 
you'll notice cab drivers always kick it neutral when they come to a stop. And in their mind, that's doing something. Technically, all they do is wearing out the valve body. You know, it's not really doing anything. When it's sitting there, it's, it's not turning fast enough, induce any kind of strain or stress on, on the unit. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of just leaving a transmission long, let it do what it does, and just keep fluid and filter clean in it. And they usually last as long as you're going to keep the car. I've really never had much problem with a transmission, automatic transmission of any kind. But, yeah, most everything you do is going to have some kind of other effect. And, you know, there are a lot of them that will limit certain gears. For instance, some of your six speeds and eight speeds will not go to a certain gear under a certain temperature mm-hmm. or under certain driving conditions. It will, it'll skip gears. They just automatically do that. They've got a really, really good amount of software in there that handles those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm always wary of stuff that's too new. Too new <laughs> well, that's probably wise, but I mean, it's, it's just what we've got to work with, you know? Yeah. Speaking of, ten, uh, sorry, have you got time? Have you got yeah, go ahead. When was it the mechanics started being called technicians? I don't know. You know, I, I kind of still call myself a mechanic <laughs> just because just I'm an old guy. But I, that's, so I guess I want to say back in the late 80s, maybe, is when we start hearing that term. I guess they started getting a little more respect for what they did because of the educational requirements and all of doing the job. I mean, face it, way back in the 1950s, pretty much anybody who had a little bit of common sense could pretty much do mechanic work. And, you know, it's almost come to the point where now you take your ACT test and all, they say, well, you know, you're really not tip top of the chart. You probably need to go to some type of a uh, field other than um, a mechanical trade because you're not smart enough to do this, you know, <laughs> as, as opposed <laughs> right. to the other way around. I remember someone asked Einstein one time, they said, what field of employment requires the most knowledge? He's an auto mechanic. He's got to know everything. He's got to know physics. He's got to know, you know magnitude. He's right. got to know He's got to know everything. All, he has to know all the disciplines. So I don't know if he was joking when he said it, but that was his take on it. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. How's the weather over there? Really pretty nice right now. About 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, that's what, about 20, 20 something degrees, 25 degrees there? Yeah, it's, uh, I looked it up before I called you. <laughs> and I know a little formula that puts me pretty close but when I, when I travel over there. But it, I, yeah, it's, I wish the whole world would go to one system. You know? <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of things they could do that way. Isn't that yep. true? That's fact. Bit, diff- bit difficult to change the side of the road you drive on, I think. Well, that that would be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> For someone. Yeah, yeah. you guys need to come to the right side. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be an engineering project. I'm that would be. Yeah, would. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'll let you go. Oh, have a nice weekend. All right, thanks, Thank Mark. Thanks, Carl, man. All right. Bye-bye. As the Mark Waller from London, uh-huh. England. It's hard to imagine this show gets out that far, but right. it, it, we do get calls from all over, all over the world. All over the world. So yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Herb on the line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning, y'all. This is a little off the wall, but I got a, bought a old cracker. Okay. I've got it all going and I just, the rubber, you know, on the steering, mm-hmm. everywhere it turns that it's got a rubber seal that kind of a oval, you know, it's rounded and sealed it all. You put the grease in, it'll, well that up and squirt out what do you call that thing you working every time i go to a store nobody knows what what i'm talking about you talking yeah. about you talking about the little boot that goes over the joint yeah. that yeah. the shaft comes through we call it a boot yeah just just a rubber <laughs> boot on a rubber steering boot. shaft yeah nothing technical i called it everything but the boot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah most pieces yeah. of rubber on a car are called yeah. a boot for yeah, whatever especially reason especially if they're convoluted at all okay well the next one would be uh, i got three of the pivot point, one on the end of the power steering, is is there's a 
bushing down in there. Is that what you call it? It's a brass or copper or whatever it is that, that's done wooden grease properly and it, it wobbled. You know, it flops. It's just not a good tight seat. Uh, Does tight it go? Seat. It goes into the steering box itself? It, it goes, yeah, where it, where the, well, like, the, the, fire, the shape enters the box? comes out and then it hits, hits the one that's going down that turns the wheel you know it's got a underneath yeah that that'll be the pitman the pitman arm uh shaft it's, it's like the one that comes out the bottom of the box yeah it's they got them everywhere it makes a turn it, it's got a, it's a tie rod a, one of those yeah i don't have to replace nothing but that but that rod but i don't know what to ask i'm not sure i'm not sure how that tractor's built yeah most of most well, of the newer stuff has you, what you, they call a tie rod on it yeah you know what yeah, uh, would be probably your best bet herb is shoot a picture of it if you got a cell phone or something, uh, just shoot a picture and bring that to the parts store and show them what you're talking about. Because it, yep. they have so you know some people call it drag link, some call yeah. it a tie rod. And if you tell them the wrong thing that that you, company doesn't use, they ain't gonna know what you're talking about. Right. But I or find you gonna get the wrong thing. I find that works really well. I know we have people come in all the time. They'll bring their camera in. They'll show me, and, and it's pretty obvious once you see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to come over and get my radiator fluid changed. Okay. Very soon, I might just bring a picture to ask one of y'all. Yeah, that's good. That okay. should, should work fine. Well, all right. Well, thank you for you. I just, while I was listening to y'all, I cranked a, a diesel in Georgia. And my mm. son called me. They didn't yeah. let it run dry diesel. And he was trying to get it. Yeah. Was, yeah, it can be a challenge on some of them. Oh, yeah. I was working this fluid up to the top, you know. Yeah. When I finally got it up there, I said, okay, and I tried. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Herb. Okay. Thanks for calling, thank man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, got to take our second quick little break. Tim, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair, deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. And if you get a chance, just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we've got Tim's been patiently holding. Good morning, Tim. Hi, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Good morning. 2001 GMC Sierra. Mm-hmm. 300,000 miles. I've called you about it a few times. But right. this question is sort of relative to all those early model GM pickup trucks mm-hmm. uh, or in uh, early 2000s, and, and I know you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably two months ago, you guys were talking about frame straightening, mm-hmm. and one of the things you mentioned is sometimes you look at the back of the pickup, and if the, the bed is kind of tilted to the cab, then uh, it might be a twist in the frame or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if, if the tailgate and the back window do not line up linearly, you know, then, right. then that's obviously a, a sign of a problem. 
I noticed that on my truck, and I've noticed it almost since it was new, over mm-hmm. 20 years. And I always thought it was optical illusion or something. And I literally measured, got it on a level surface, flat surface, measured from the ground up to the, the bottom of the, the bed over the wheel well, mm-hmm. the bumper, several mm-hmm. different points. Mm-hmm. And I constantly came up with, it was about three-quarter inches lower on the driver's side yes. than the mm-hmm. passenger mm-hmm. side. Looking at it from the back, cab looked fine, the bed looked good. I took it to two independent shops. Mm-hmm. They checked bushings, frame mounts, the bed mounts, the yeah. spring perches, spring mounts, the springs, deflection, everything. They couldn't find anything different between either side. I took it to a dealer. He couldn't find anything either, and he told me they see that a lot on early 2000 model GM trucks, and it's quite common, and they don't have an explanation for it. Have well, you guys run into no, that? Now, it's probably a slight twist in the frame. Uh, what happens is that when they ship that truck, they may have bound it down on two opposite corners, pulled it down mm-hmm. too tight, and slightly twisted the frame. I mean, it's not something that a independent repair shop or dealership is ever going to find unless they've got a body shop and even if they got a body shop it has to be a good enough body shop to know how to put gauges on there and read that i mean it's not something you can see or measure you're not gonna measure with a tape tape measure yeah because it's a twist between the rails i mean i can find that in about 30 30 minutes. minutes yeah pretty easily but that's what we're designed and set up to do now, all of that being said, if it doesn't bother you too much, obviously it's been 20 years. It's not a big deal. It's, yeah, it's not going to be a critical thing. It's more of a nuisance or an annoyance, although you may have two wheels carrying slightly more weight than the other two wheels. could cause you a little bit of instability at higher speeds, but it's probably always been that way, and, and you've just adapted to it. You know, you, you may see a little higher failure rate on one shock on one side and one on the other side rather than all four wearing out evenly. You know, those sorts of things, but it's not a critical issue that, oh, my God, you got to have it fixed. Now, what the dealership was telling you is that generation of vehicle, when it was built, one of the one of the spring pockets wasn't built in the correct spec, and the spring was a little shorter on one side than the other because the pocket is not in the same place as it is on the other side, and the whole vehicle would lean. Yes. And they actually had a TSB out to put place a shim on the opposite spring in the back to level the whole vehicle, right. but it was not a twist in the frame right. that they were trying you to know, correct. The, the tailgate and the window would be perfectly in line with each other. It's but just the that the whole truck low. would lean up or down on one side or the right. other, which is a lot of people confuse that with a twist. It's totally different. Right. Yeah, it wasn't the whole truck. It just seemed to be the bed uh, right. relative exactly. to the mm-hmm. cab. And, and I understand, yeah, if they shipped it, they might have tightened one side down too yeah. much. Yeah, that other. happened. When he said it was common to the early GM trucks, Mm. Uh, that they had seen it a lot, and yeah. I'm thinking, well, is it, is it the way GM's manufacturing it? It might have been. No, it's no. It? probably the way they were shipping it at the time. I mean, I wouldn't say it's any yeah. more common on that truck than any other. I've got that same truck, and mine is perfectly level. Right. always has been. But again, we work on literally thousands of those trucks over the years. I wouldn't say it's any more common on that than it is on the Ford or the Dodge or any other right. truck. Even today we see it. I mean, I've had 2020s come in that were twisted. Mm-hmm just depends on what happened to that particular truck i mean if you run off the road where one wheel goes down say in a ditch and then somebody comes behind you wraps the chain around something and yanks on it you can very easily twist the frame all right well next time i have a doctor check the length of my legs maybe one of those <laughs> well absolutely I, I, I appreciate your show all thank right you. tim thanks carl man thank you bye-bye I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to follow the automotive, I would love to have you. Go ahead and just give a call. 
And we were talking about some of the older technologies right. and stuff, things that have changed over the years. What was the next? We were talking about the different technologies. We covered the tires. Right. We covered uh, wipers. We covered alternators. Mm-hmm. Fuel injection. Oh, yeah. When Huge fuel injection came along, it basically wiped the carburetor car off the map. I mean, it, it was so much better. A carburetor could not it couldn't hope, do everything. It could not hope no. to compete with fuel injection. It no was way. not. That's more of a revolutionary change than just an evolutionary change. Exactly. It totally changed the game because these cars could now adapt to cold conditions. They could sure. adapt to higher altitudes. And as they've gone on, I find they've even gotten better and better and better up to a point. Right. And where that's when they went to direct injection. Direct injection. Now, direct injection is more of an emissions control thing because they can time the fuel event more precisely to the combustion event. And it's called direct injection because they're directing the charge directly into the cylinder instead of into a runner where the vacuum would pull the charge Right. In. When the valve opens, the, you know, the, the injectors would fire into the intake manifold, and it would just kind of sit there in the port until the valve opened, and then it would draw it in and burn it with the, the other mixtures. But with direct injection, it's spraying directly into the combustion chamber, so they can time it precisely Perfectly. to get better emissions in some instances, maybe they can boost the performance some, mm-hmm. but you got a couple of big disadvantages. Right. You're directing directly into the combustion chamber, so therefore you have all that combustion is being produced at the end of that injector now, you instead got, of that injector being protected behind the valve. Right. Not only that, but the valves are no longer cleaned by the detergents in the fuel. Exactly. Because the fuel does not go past the valves any longer. So... Build up on valves is getting to be a big, big problem. It is. It's going to be an issue. Got to take our last quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks standoff Louisiana one, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to Automotive Hour. Just join us. I'm Lewis Aldazan. I'm president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We're talking a little bit about just different technology right. and all. And, of course, we ended up with direct injection. Fuel injection, I think, when it came along was wonderful. It, sure. it really was cost-effective. It gave very, very, very little problems. Direct injection is not bad. It just has a few more inherent problems it does. based on the design, but not a horrible system, I guess. Kind of going right along in there, I think one of the big improvements on more modern engines is where they eliminated the EGR system. Exactly. EGR was necessary to suppress the oxides of nitrogen when an engine starts to detonate. That means the engine has gotten in the chamber hot enough to where as it starts, compression comes up, the fuel-air mixture explodes before the piston reaches the top dead center, which is very dangerous. It can damage the engine. It sends emissions out of control. So what they did is they needed something to inject into the chamber that could cool the mixture down. Right. 
Now, water would have been a good thing. It would have. A, a vapor of water would have done the same exact thing. A lot of race cars do use that technology, but it means that people would have to keep adding water to the car. And, and people don't do that, happen. so it would, yeah. it would fail to operate and destroy itself pretty soon. So they used exhaust gas instead. Exhaust gas is already burned, so when they inject it in the chamber, it's not going to burn again. So it serves to cool the fuel-air mixture down. And what they've done with between the direct injection, they can actually pump a little extra fuel in there to cool it down now. And, and some of the other technologies with the computers and all, they've eliminated that. And it was a fairly problematic system. It, it was. It gave a number of problems. It was. The valves would hang up, the, the chambers would carbon up, mm-hmm. and the flow would stop. And well, you pump it carbon back in the intake manifold, exactly. which is inherently a problem. And so you would get a lot of buildup on valves and all that kind of stuff. And when they eliminated that system, they eliminated a whole lot of they did a whole lot of extra problems. Those kind of issues. Let's go back to our phone line with Al. Good morning, Al. Good morning. How are you all? Doing Good great, morning. sir. Fine. Look, I've got a '94 Cadillac, uh-huh. and it's got some big time air conditioning problems. And before I'm going to spend much money, a friend told me one time he's fairly knowledgeable, not a mechanic, but he told me that that North Star engine has got an inherent problem. It's not a matter of if, but when. A headboat's going to break, and that's going to total the engine. Have you ever heard anything about that? Yeah, yeah, they do have some trouble with that, Al. But i got to say, it's like everything else. It's not a matter of everybody is going to have that problem. They had a high number of people with that. I wouldn't say it's a matter of if or when. It's just some of them had the problem, some of them didn't. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like people who smoke. Some of them are going to contract diseases because of it, but some of them aren't. It's just a high number do. But... You know, I had a, a stepfather who smoked for, since he was 13 years old, yeah. he lived to be 89 and didn't die of that, you know? So <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, if I had the car and I'd had it for years and was in good shape, I wouldn't really lose any sleep over it. We see it more actually where we have to tear the engine down for some reason, like it's been overheated. Uh-huh. Then when we go to put the heads back on, the head bolts will strip out. I don't see it just going down the road having much problem. So if you keep your cooling system in good shape and all that, you may not ever see a problem with that. Huh. Okay. All right. Uh, you answered both my questions. <laughs> now, how much do I want to spend on an air conditioner? That's, that's a bigger problem. Yeah. And generally, when the ACs on a car that age go out, it's going to be a fairly major deal. Yeah. You, you're probably looking at replacing the majority, the if not all, of the system. So. Yeah, you're going to have a pretty sizable bill there. If you use the car a lot, you're not going to be able to get by without air conditioning as soon as the summer hits. But, no, that's true. I mean, yeah. you could always, if you're not that crazy about the car anyway, I mean, it might be a good time to bail on it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, appreciate it. You have, have, have you still got day. your old Jeep? Pardon? Didn't you still have an old Jeep? Yeah, I sure did. I still got it. Yeah. I just started working on it again this last week. Just ordered a fuel pump yesterday. Come on, was that like a 46 model or something? Right, yep. See, I, got, I got a pretty good memory, don't I? <laughs> yeah, you sure do. You sure do. Uh, yeah, okay. All right, Al. See me coming. All right. Thank right you. Thanks, man. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you got a question or a comment, you still got a few minutes, go ahead and give us a call. And, again, we were talking about technologies over the years right. that have come in that have helped people. They don't right. give much trouble. Elimination of the EGR, I think, was a good move in the right direction. Sure. Didn't add a lot of cost to anything. Didn't solve a lot of problems. Solved some problems. Didn't anything and really didn't, suffer from account of it. Right. One of the newer technologies that's come out is the blind spot mirrors. Yeah. The the little blind spot indicator in your mirrors. And some people find that aggravating because a little light is flashing on it, distracts yeah. them. I know in my car, I have a definite blind spot. Well, and you drive the highway Always. four or five times a week. Always. So, I mean, it comes in handy. Every vehicle has got a blind spot mm-hmm. where the two mirrors will not meet, where you can, can't can see part of what's behind you. Mm-hmm. And that is what is considered a blind spot. Right. 
And what this mirror does is it actually is looking at that blind spot that you can't see. And if something gets in it, a little light pops on on the mirror to catch your attention. Right. And I know many, many times I have looked back over my shoulder. I've checked my rearview mirror. I've looked all I can look. I see absolutely nothing. Start to move over, and I see that light on. And uh-huh. it's, Sure it, enough. Yeah, right there. Somebody's pulling up on the side. I just absolutely did not see them otherwise. And one thing you learn as you've driven years and years and years, like I have, you don't ever just look and, and pull over. Right. When you look and you don't see anything, start moving. <laughs> Put your signal on and start moving over very slowly. Right. And hopefully somebody will blow the horn or, or whatever. But, yeah, one of the tricks that I'm going to say older drivers, but I guess attentive drivers, they could be sure. young or old, sure. have learned the hard way in many cases is that you never just pull over into the lane. Right. Even though you've looked and you didn't see anything, because I have had times where someone was coming up behind me. I looked. I did not see them because they were behind me. Looked in the other lane, it was open, and then they go to pass just as I pull over. Sure. Now, that can be a real problem, and that's one thing this blind spot indicator will, that little light will pop on. You have to train yourself just a little bit to look at it or look right. for it. Because right. it's there, it's fairly prominent, but you do have to look for it. If you ignore it, you could be in big trouble. Well, and when, when we learned to drive, they taught us to use the mirrors. Mm-hmm. And for so long, the first car I had didn't have a right side mirror on it. Mm-hmm. And when I started Several years after I started driving, we actually put a right side mirror on yeah. it, and that made a great big difference in the way mm-hmm. you learn to drive. You had those mirrors, and you you learned how to use them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, today's technology, if there's something in that blind spot, that little light pops on, mm-hmm. and I find that today's drivers not re- as as attentive as most used to be. You know what for happened? Technology's sake. If you remember when ABS brakes and all that disc brakes first sure. came out. The car would stop better with the disc brakes and all, and some insurance companies would give a discount because if your car had that. Uh-huh. But what they soon learned was it really didn't lower the number of accidents at all, and now you really won't get a discount for that. Right. And the reason being, when people realize, hey, this car can stop better, they we'll just, just drive a little faster, tailgate it a little closer, <laughs> drove. They yeah. just pushed it. It's just human nature. Yeah, sure. they just pushed it a little further. So, as brakes have improved over the years. The accidents number of accidents <laughs> really haven't kept pace with that because right. people just drive faster. They tailgate closer. I mean, I'm on the road every day. I see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just it, just a little short trip up here this morning. Mm-hmm. I saw it three times. Yeah. The yeah. people really, I find, tend to tailgate a whole lot these days. Another really annoying thing that I found is that people will pass on the right uh-huh. a lot. If you're in the left lane passing, but you're not passing as fast as they think you should be, They'll try to pass you on the right and sneak between you and the car ahead of you. Right. Which is very, very dangerous. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. Mm-hmm. But I see that a lot. All the time. You know, because when I'm driving 70 miles an hour in a 70-mile zone, and the guy ahead of me is doing 65, I'm going to pass him, but I'm not going to speed up to 90 to pass him. I'm going to drive 70, and so I'm not going to zip right around him. And I know people, because I'm keeping a proper distance, they'll try to pass me on the right and jump in that little spot ahead. See it all the time. Yeah, and like I say, very, very, very dangerous. Just something, something to look out for. One thing these little mirrors will do is they will help with that. They've also tied that in in another fashion on some of the newer cars where, particularly on the back door, but I think maybe on the front door too, it'll prevent the door from opening if something's coming by mm-hmm. or at least give you a warning because 
people will look and then open the door to step out. And if there's a car coming, sure, you may have a fatality there. But these, some of them will actually keep the door from opening. Hmm. Okay. At least give you a warning if, if it will let it open. So I see we're just about totally out of time. Start winding on up, get ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find a written review and fill it out for us, please. That's right. When you fill out those written reviews, it moves us up in the ranking so more people can see the show and they write in just a generic term like auto repair. We'll come up close to the top of the list. So they're more likely to tune in to us. More people listen to the show, the longer we can do it. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.